how do you mitigate your risk? Montel's forecasting services cover risks from hours ahead to years ahead. We welcome you to hedge your market exposure with our diverse forecasting portfolio. Contact us at salesatmontelnews.com for more info and a free trial. Hello listeners and welcome to the Montel Weekly Podcast. Bring you energy matters in an informal setting. This week's show returns to the fastest growing and cheapest energy source out there, solar power. And joining me today are the CEOs of two of the Nordic region's prominent solar firms, who I hope will explain the promise of the technology in a part of Europe not known for its sunny weather. So a very warm welcome to you, Andreas Torsheim of Ottawa, and to you, Harald Overholm of Alight Energy. Thank you. Thank you so much, Richard, for having us. How are you guys doing in these uh, in these uh, challenging times, and how's business amid this COVID-19 pandemic? Harold, could I start with you? Yeah, thanks. Well, uh, that's a good question for anyone these days. COVID has been the disruption, of course. Luckily, I would say we've been on the production side in terms of, of building solar. We haven't had any significant disruptions. Uh, we were able to complete the uh, the largest solar park in Sweden actually during the, the COVID crisis during May and, and, and June last year. So this far, the supply chain of solar has been holding up very well. On the customer side, I mean, we as a company, we work almost exclusively with uh, commercial and industrial customers. And I think it's a, it's a dual story, right? Because short term, they've been disrupted. So of course, business has been a little bit more difficult than, it, than you would have wished. But, but somewhat long term, and I think many others than us are experiencing this, that that the COVID disruption has kind of triggered an almost stronger commitment to uh, to sustainability and to the UN Sustainable Development Goals. And I mean, I mean, I'm not sure I, I fully understand the connection, but it's certainly it's there. And and uh, just look at the the EU COVID recovery package, which is very green. Uh, and I think that's happening on a, on a corporate level. It's happening on a regulatory level. So. Somewhat unexpectedly, COVID has, has meant a stronger demand for solar. So, I mean, in a, in a sense, perhaps um, a clean break with the, the dirty fossil fuel of the past, maybe in a, in a new beginning. Andreas, could I could I ask you as well? How how are you coping, and how how is business in these uh, in this Corona time? So, we're addressing the residential uh, market, and uh, for us, the Corona uh, situation kind of rippled through the uh, supply chain, starting in in Q1 with lockdowns in in China affecting panel production and later panel shipments to Europe. In Q2, we had lockdowns in in Europe, which affected demand adversely. People, uh, you know, refraining from maybe the the larger CapEx decisions in their their lives, postponing them to later. And that affected installations in Q3, which is the quarter where you install what you sold in, in Q2. So this kind of rippled through. But at the other end of that, I think uh, what Harold said resonates with uh, with me. We're seeing the same thing. Consumers coming out with uh, a bit of a leapfrog. I, I guess you know, Corona is a is a decade happening in a year, and a lot more motivation to go uh, to go green to buy stuff online, which is beneficial for Otovo. Uh, we sell our solar panels online, and for us entering also Poland at the end of the year and Spain at the beginning of the year, our growth comes kind of after the 
the worst COVID effects and very optimistic about the year we have ahead of us. We'll come back to that as well, your, the plans and for growth and expansion and, and, and the outlook for 2021. But I mean, as I, as I sort of hinted in the introduction, sort of solar in the Nordic region, what's the big deal here, Andreas? For us, it was a, it was a great school, right? It's a, it's a region, uh, as you said, not known for being the sunniest on the planet, although a lot better than people think. High labor costs and uh, quite low electricity prices. So it, uh, it trains you to be efficient, to be automized, to be uh, highly digital. And it was in the Nordics that we, we learned to play our game and we're exporting that, uh, that uh, knowledge and being, you know, we're, we're cost leaders in France and, and Spain and, and Poland and now uh, later in the year, Italy. So I think, you know, if you go to a, you go to a to rough school, you, you become a, a pretty tough kid. Right? Mm. Absolutely, absolutely. What's your feeling in here, Harold? I mean, you, you're in a different sector from, from Ottawa, but... Uh, you know, you're in the commercial and industrial side. How does that work? Solar in, in Sweden or in the Nordics or even pan-European, but specifically solar in, in, in the Nordic region? Yeah, I mean, I really like Andreas' uh, point of view here, that if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere, right? <laughs> it's the, the darkest place in Europe. And also, much like Andreas and Otovo, Alight, uh, which I'm, I'm the founder of, we're expanding rapidly across Europe. So, so we're certainly not, uh, not focused on being a Swedish uh, solar company. But I mean, that said, I also want to just take a step back and say, look, I mean, when solar works, it works and it does two things. The one thing is that it generates value for customers. And we've been able to make sure that solar does indeed generate value for customers in, in Sweden. And that's why they buy it. So, you know, you reach that point, it generates value, then that's it. Secondly, you know, I think we're all purpose driven and, and we, we come into the sector because we believe in it. So we want to see the environmental impact happening. And that too, I think that that's a little bit my, actually talking about Sweden, a little bit of a pet theme of mine is that you often hear that Sweden has 100% clean and renewable electricity supply, which is of course true, but Sweden also has an immense amount of export and import with its surrounding countries, notably Poland, Germany, and Lithuania. So there was this report two years ago from something called NEP, which is just this really broad coalition of universities and the energy industry. And they actually came to the conclusion that if we build out clean power production in Sweden, we could export up to 60 terawatt hours per year to these very dirty countries. You know, Poland is like, there was this, this chart in The Economist actually last week saying that Poland is the one country in the EU that you can, you can see the borders from space because the amount of coal that they burn. And we export directly into Poland from SC4, which is the, the most southern region where we typically would put the solar. And the conclusion uh, was that by doing this, we could offset about 60 million tons of CO2, which is coincidentally the entire uh, CO2 debt of, of Sweden. So we could, just by exporting clean power, make Sweden basically carbon neutral. So I think that's a little bit of a forgotten story sometimes when we get very narrow and just think within our, our, our borders. Power is is a transnational uh, system and it's a system perspective that you need to see that impact. I think also a lot of the sort of this solar is too costly or isn't profitable uh, in region X. That's always information with the due date, right? With, with the incredible uh, reduction in, in solar energy prices that happens every single month, right? Keep in mind, yeah. we're, we're, yeah. the, the cost of this product is coming down 1% per month. Right, so a lot of that news is yesterday's news. It basically, the, the question is, w when or by how much do you uh, do you beat the the grid prices? And 
Uh, I think uh, the the hypothesis when we started Otovo was that well, with with this drop in prices, solar energy is going to win everywhere, and that hypothesis number one, and I think that's coming increasingly true. And second, the hardware price is going to matter less and less because it, you know it's asymptotically going towards zero. So it's all the other stuff that you need to be good at, and uh, the, the financing, the marketing, the last mile yeah. logistics, these things. And I think uh, th- that's why I think uh, Scandinavian countries can be leaders uh, coming out of the, out of this decade because we experience the ratio of of non-hardware to the rest uh, being high first, right? Because uh, we have more more expensive labor at the outset. So I think that's what drives you know now Nordic Nordic companies to be at the forefront of where where solar is going in the next decade. Currently, the Nordic region is experiencing very cold weather, so power prices are high at the moment. But if we look back at 2019, 2020, they've actually been very low. I mean, how can how can your offering compare with with the retail market as it currently stands, Andreas? Obviously, with a with a dynamic market like uh, like in Scandinavia, there will be ups and ups and downs. And I think the the long term trend is that power prices to consumer have been uh, increasing over the last uh, last decade, right? And I keep in mind that we're selling energy that's uh, behind the meter, which is a lot more stable than than the wholesale prior pr- prices and in general, the most valuable power you can have, right? Because it's it's produced and possibly stored at the point of consumption, and so, and so that power is a lot more valuable. It contains the wholesale price, the grid price, the tariffs, and the, and the VAT if that gets added. So so that's a lot more stable and a higher uh, number. And uh, we're seeing in most uh, most European countries the price we're competing against is uh, high and flat or or high and increasing. So. I think this uh, leaves us room to beat the, the grid price ever more every, every year. It does it help. I know that in Norway, potentially also coming in Sweden, Harald, but in Norway, there's a very strong grassroots or anti-wind feeling. Does that, does that benefit, out of all, that you're not wind? You're a renewable form energy that is solar instead? I like wind power. Just uh, have to say that first. Uh, I hope we can build out all the renewable energy we, we can, both uh, at sea and uh, on land. That being said... I like also conflict-free energy. We're in. We need to transition so much uh, uh, fossil fuel activity uh, that that we need, you know, to find energy forms that that uh, can create good compromises and with a minimum of, of conflict. And when we build out the distributed solar, it happens often in industrial areas, on rooftops, on commercial buildings, or in, in our case, on on houses and garages and uh, and barns that already exist in the landscape and and that's popular to people. We had a we had this poll before Christmas uh, where solar energy came out as uh, the, most, uh, the most popular to have in your backyard. And I think that's, uh, that's indicative of uh, one of the strengths of, of solar. It's, it's easy, it's fast, it get, gets built out without, uh, without protest. And that's one of its strengths for the, for the decade to come. So it's, maybe it's a wimby, a welcome in my backyard type yeah, of uh, energy source. <laughs> Harold, if I can then ask you, I mean, how do you see the wholesale market impact and how you can compare it with power prices that exist in the market for commercial and industrial sectors? Very good question. And and first of all, just to summarize it, just to let me say that we always have, these days, we always have a positive NPV for the, for the customers buying our product. So, I mean, the product in our case is, is a power purchase agreement. It's a long-term power contract that's, that makes sure that the customer is buying the contract from, from a new solar asset. And they always have a positive NPV. So there's just, we're not selling this on the back of, any particular environmental premium, the environmental driver is there and it's important to customers, but it has to be a positive MPV. That's, I think it's just generally accepted. 
So, but the question is, how do we get that? How, how do we get to that positive uh, net present value? And maybe the Montel Podis is a good place to be a little bit more specific about mm. power prices, because in most cases, I would just say, look, you know, it works. You don't have to, you don't have to worry about it. But let me actually take just a brief moment and go into the details, because I think it's, uh, it's a widely misunderstood topic. And you, of course, know that when we see the average power price being printed in, in the newspaper or whatever, it, it is indeed the average of a lot of you know, different dimensions. When you're a commercial or industrial customer buying solar, I mean, first of all, the, the price zone matters a lot, right? So you do solar in Sweden in the two southern zones, which is SE3 and SE4. And they obviously have, you know, significantly higher prices than SE1 and SE2 because of the trouble of getting all of that wind power from SE1 and SE2 down to, to the south. That would be the first thing to think of. The other thing is that what we call the capture rate, which is the intraday volatility of prices, is very good for solar. And now solar is is the capture. I mean, the, the production curve of solar is pretty given. You know, we always produce the most in the middle of the day. And in SE4, for example, you have these very significant power shortages in the middle of the day, in the middle of the summer. I mean, this summer we saw something like, I think it topped out at like 100, 100 euros per megawatt hour in the middle of the day in SE4. And that's, that's amazing for a customer with a PPA with solar because, you know, any large scale PPA today will be 30 megawatt, 30 euros per megawatt hour or lower. That delta is just amazing. I mean, we're not only saving money, we're talking making significant amounts of money. So I guess when you when you break down to the story to that level of, of granularity, you see a different story, which is that the volatility is increasing. During the summer month, you have the peaks in the middle of the day, and uh, that's exactly what solar is, is, is addressing. So yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a good story. What about sort of demand growth in the region? We talk a lot about, you know, demand has been falling in the Nordic region, both in Norway, Sweden. But um, there is talk of the electrification of heating and transport, of which, you know, you guys are a part of, in a sense. I mean, what, what's your view of, of demand in the region, Harald? Yeah, I mean, definitely. So electrification is happening. Uh, it's a long-term trend across, across the globe. It's, it's a long-term trend in Sweden in many different ways. And it's coupled, especially in these in these very mature markets, it's coupled with another trend, which is the retiring old fleet of, of centralized assets and, and of the grid. So you have these two macro factors that just make sure that there's going to be a delta power gap coming up in the future. But that's maybe the long term. But even when we look at this summer, there was power shortage in SE4 in the middle of the day, just people using too much power and too little power being produced. So I think we're seeing that here and now, and Sweden is not that large of a power market. We don't have that many centralized power producing assets. If one of them gets switched off, as you had these these unscheduled interruptions with nuclear this this summer, you know suddenly you have a power shortage. That that's actually true here and now, and it doesn't matter how many EVs we add to that equation. It's it's actually true in this moment. So. I think this is something where distributed assets like solar that you build out incrementally, organically, the whole time, it, it's it's great. I mean, it's obviously addressing an urgent need here and now, and that need is only going to grow. Absolutely. What's what's your view, Andreas, on on uh, demand in in the region and in Norway in particular? Yeah, I think it's uh, going to be super super strong. Our estimates of of uh, Europe as a whole is that by twenty twenty five will be installing residential solar power on the continent, not, not just Otobo, but, but all players for a yearly value of 9 billion euros, right? So it's enormous. And you can see countries like Poland, uh, which most people you know, think of 
like uh, like an entirely uh, coal powered uh, country. They they did about two hundred thousand residential installations last year. They're the number one country in, in Europe. No one saw that coming two or three years ago. Sweden is a market that is right now the size of uh, of the French residential solar market. So something's something's wrong in that equation, and it's not the size of uh, of Sweden. It's uh, <laughs> France going to ten x right. And I think the the inherent logic of solar is super super strong. If you can if you can beat the grid price, if you can beat the the wholesale power price, you can you know this makes sense. Developers of property will see this increasingly, whether it's uh, residential property or uh, commercial uh, property. The utility players are going to add utility scale solar even in the Nordics. And it's so fast. I mean, you, you don't see it coming, but if there's a rationale, as, as Harold uh, said, well, solar gets built out in a matter of weeks and months uh, in, in the commercial sector, utility uh, sector. And, and for households, it can be a matter of days, right? We see demand coming up when there's a, a front story news about price hikes or, or big price changes. Aftonblad and VG, they, they drive demand when they talk about power prices. Mm. You talked about Poland, but isn't also I'm mean, surprised to hear that the Netherlands had showed a big increase in, in solar, and that's also not known for its its space. But you both mentioned sort of growth areas and views to expand elsewhere outside the Nordics. Could you talk a little bit about what what your plans are plans are, uh, Andreas? Yeah, so um, uh, we started in Norway in 2016, went to Sweden in 2018, and uh, we acquired a, a French solar portal called Insun We Trust in uh, 2019 and entered Spain organically by the end of 2019. So we've been there about a year. We entered uh, Poland last month, and we're uh, going into to Italy now in, uh, in February. So um, our tactic is to enter the large uh, European uh, countries to gain market share in those and expand our gross margin and take each country to, to profit within three years. That's the method. And uh, well, if you look at, uh, at our European map, there are a few large European countries uh, missing. I'd love to to add them in the in the coming years. Do you work with retailers, power retailers, or do your customers are mainly off grid here, or what, what's the situation? We're entirely on grid, existing housing, standard panels, very very standardized. The way Otovo works is that we we sell solar panels uh, online to consumers. Uh, our software calculates the the optimal uh, project on their roof, and then finds uh, one of the uh, available installers in the area and conducts uh, an auction between the installers we have on our platform to do that project in, in real time. So if you go to otobo.se or .es or wherever you may live, you input your address, you will get a quote that is live and, uh, and committed from, from us and our installers uh, immediately. On the back end of that, we have about 300 installer companies that, uh, that provide the service and price their labor, driving costs, scaffolding, everything that goes into, it go, goes into a project. We're a marketplace for energy installations. That's how, how it works. We put it up on people's uh, roofs behind the meter and, and they own the energy from there on and, and do with it whatever they, uh, whatever they choose. And to us, the electricity grid and the electric retailers, they're, uh, they're part of, a, of an ecosystem that we, we live side by side with them. But certainly some kind of disruption there as well into traditional ways of doing things. But for you guys, Alight, where are your plans for, for growth and expansion? I think very similar to what Andreas is saying, that we just look at the map and, and figure out where, you know, where, where things are happening, where there's a strong and clear long-term demand, and, and also from the regulatory side, where, it's, where you can see that it's apparent that you can deploy solar and, and power purchase agreements at this, uh, today without, without trouble. And for us, it's been, we have a team on the ground in, in Spain and then in Poland, 
Uh, indeed, so Poland for us is, is a very important market. Just as Andreas is saying, it's it's come from basically nowhere, and it's accelerating very rapidly. And, and the first large-scale power purchase agreement with a commercial customer was signed in Poland actually just four weeks ago, not by us, but by a German company called BioRE, which signed with Heidelberg Cement. But I think that's just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, there's there's so much going on now in the market. So, And then in addition to Poland and Spain, places like Germany and Netherlands that you mentioned are becoming very important. And I think what's happened in those markets is that they have a long history of deploying solar on the back of very strict uh, incentive regimes. So a very kind of artificial market, if you like. But that's now changed very rapidly. So in Germany now, you can you can actually deploy unsubsidized solar, PPA-backed solar. And then, of course, the, the maturity of the market is there because people are used to seeing solar. So it's a really interesting uh, switch in, in, in those markets that we want to be a part of and we want to we want to lead that. I mean, we see, we see that as we see ourselves as kind of the second wave of solar in Europe. So it's like the first wave was very much about capturing incentives and just deploying according to what, what governments were, were asking for. Now, the second wave is to build out organically a market-based solar that, that's just, yeah, just based on, on the idea that you can, if you can create value for a customer, then, then you can build solar. That's it. We see in, in, in Poland and Spain, especially, you have a lot of uh, very large-scale renewable tenders and auctions. How do they coexist in, with the PPA market? Yes, that, that is a good question. And in Poland, especially now, that, that's exactly what's happening. There, is, there are auctions coming. At certain intervals and in between you you want to do the ppa sort of transactions and i mean they're, they're co- coexisting in a peaceful manner i would say but of course you know it, it's up to you as as a as someone who's deploying in the market if you if you have access to a particular site you have to figure out if you think that you're going to have the best return on your investment if you, if you put it into the auction or not but i mean that that's uh, the auctions ultimately most likely will if not go away they will at least become somewhat secondary to to the PPA market so yeah it's, it's not something that's that's disturbing what, what was it difficult before was was the feed-in tariff regimes the FIT regimes because typically they basically prohibited other deployment of solar so in Germany you couldn't do solar if you didn't do it in the FIT regime the auctions is not like that I mean the auctions is just Essentially, it's just the government buying a PPA from you. So fine. I mean, for us, it works well. I'd just like to close on one final question. And this would be maybe on a wish list for the uh, for the Green Deal recovery post-COVID. What would be your number one wish list for sort of the regulators in, in Brussels, Harold? It's definitely about evening out the, the regulatory framework across Europe, just, just leveling the playing field and making sure. And this is something that the uh, the European Commission has explicitly asked member states to do. So they've asked them to level the playing field for power purchase agreements and make uh, unsubsidized uh, commercial solar efficient and, and, and just something that's, that's clear, something that works just as well as, as the old regime. I think that's on its... I, certainly no, no one in particular is against it, but, but I would like to see if we could see some money invested in making that happen then that would help the market because at the moment it's a bit of a puzzle uh, with the regional and national legislations. For you, Andres, what would be top of your list? We like what the EU has done already with being pro-consumer and pro-third-party ownership in in uh, in the residential uh, sector. So very thankful for for the pretty level playing field that has been created between the prosumers on the one side and the energy incumbents uh, on, on the other. So. A good start to that. I think where we want to go now is um, to reduce the 
permitting a load for residential uh, solar, uh, the, the EU could do well in, in copying Poland, uh, saying that uh, anything below a certain threshold, for example, six or nine kilowatt can be installed on the grid without any permitting. That would speed things up and, and lead to a faster deployment without uh, much risk to the grid. I think you know, the, the, the permit acceptance levels are at 99% in most grids because the players know what they're doing. So, uh, so you could do sort of a after the fact uh, documentation rather than uh, before the fact uh, permitting that that would accelerate the market and it would would bring the market forward by at least a quarter uh, that's a refreshing view and not one you hear very often the eu should learn from poland but uh, guys thank you very much for for an excellent discussion and all your insights into a very dynamic and uh, fast growing uh, sector thank you richard for having us it was wonderful thank, thank you thank you so, listeners, you can now follow the podcast on our own Twitter account, aptly named the Montel Weekly Podcast. Please direct message any suggestions, questions, or you know, let us know if you if you think you have a good idea for a guest on the show. You can also send us an email to podcast at montelnews.com. Lastly, remember to keep up to date with all that's happening in energy markets on Montel News. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. Thank you and goodbye.